so far the reading of God's word. Dear congregation, there are two things this morning noteworthy in the life of our church. And the first is, of course, the installation this morning of new office bearers and leadership for our church. But the second also is well known to you, I think, and that is that our church celebrates its birthday. Right, as on January 3, that our church had its first meeting in this building right here. Its first meeting on January 3, 1993. And so those two things have, have prompted me then to, to bring this message to you from Scripture and to consider this theme this morning, moving forward, moving forward. Because I suspect that's on our minds this morning, not just the three men here who are being newly ordained or newly installed into the offices, but on all of our minds as a congregation. 30 years, 31 years as a congregation, meeting Lord's Day after Lord's Day and moving forward. How do we do that? Well, I believe this chapter gives us good wisdom in that regard. So let's consider this then. Moving forward. And you'll see that I organized the points somewhat differently uh, this morning with an application after each one of these points. So this morning, in the first place, we move forward by recognizing what God has done for us. Now, we certainly see that in the chapter that's before us because in chapter 24, in Joshua 24, by this time, you'll know that Israel has gone into the land of Canaan They've conquered most of the Canaanite nations, not all of them, but most of them have been conquered and subdued. God has given them the land of Canaan, and now God calls them to Shechem to renew the covenant. Now, you remember from previous sermons that in Exodus 24, remember the covenant was ratified. We, we, we considered that in our understanding of the Lord's Supper. Remember the covenant was ratified. The blood was sprinkled on the altar, in other words, on God, and the blood was sprinkled on the people. And the people agreed to the terms of that covenant. And it was ratified. There was then a meal. Remember, those elders of Israel went up. And instead of being struck down and destroyed by God, they, God sat down with them at a meal. And that covenant was ratified. Well, now the covenant will be renewed after the conquest of Canaan. And God called, Joshua summons the people to Shechem. By the way, if you're at all familiar with the, the geography of the land of Palestine, that's today the city of Nablus. It's a very centrally located city. You can see why that would be an advantageous city to call the people together. At any rate, at Shechem, Joshua summons these people. He calls them together for a covenant renewal ceremony. And what is, how does this ceremony begin? It begins with a recital of all of what God has done for them in the past. And that's our first point. Recognize what God has done for us. And you see that beginning already in verse 2. Joshua 24 and verse 2. From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then it continues. And Joshua relates all the different things that God had done for his people, calling Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, giving him Isaac and then Jacob, giving them the land of Canaan, bringing them out of Egypt, and all these things that are listed there. Each of these things that God does, until finally we get the, the summary of it in verse 13. The summary of it in verse 13. And I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, 
and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. You see how, how much the activity of Israel is, is, is made little of. And it was all of God. He conquered the land. He drove out the nations from before them. He gave them the olive groves, the cities, and all what they are now enjoying in the land of Canaan. Now, my friends, that's certainly for us the first thing that we have to do as well as a people, is to look back and to see what God has done for us. And I take you back to 1992. 1992. Now, I had to study all this because I'm not a member uh, or wasn't a member of this church, certainly wasn't around then. But in 1992, when men began to gather in this city to have a, a study of the Belgic Confession under the leadership of Reverend Henry Vanderkam. Some of you maybe attended those meetings, I don't know. But at any rate, uh, these meetings began to happen in this city in 1992. The first one, I'm sorry, it was, the first one was in 1989. See, I have to get my dates correct here. In 1989. But the last one was April of 1992. April of 1992. In November of 1992, a meeting was called to meet in the, in the fire hall in Ashtimo. And I'm told that it was a very snowy, sleety evening, not the kind of evening that you'd want to go out on the roads. And many of the men began to wonder if anybody was going to show up. And come to find out, it was standing room only in the, in the Ashtimo fire hall. And after some discussion, a vote was taken to launch a new church. Now, my friends, I relate all these things. Uh, perhaps you're already familiar with them. Because we see things that man is doing. We see people coming together for a study of the Belgic Confession. We see Reverend Henry Vanderkam leading those meetings. We see the Ashtimo Fire Hall full. But are you able, my friends, this evening or this morning to look back with the eyes of faith and to see that God was moving? God was moving in the community. The Christian Reformed Church had developments at the time that were going in an unbiblical direction. And God moved in the community, stirred up the hearts of these men to do this. That's why we move forward as a church by recognizing what God has done for us. Now, children, on your notes, you see that picture of that man there, right? Everybody in the church already knows who that is, but maybe you don't, especially my children won't know who that is. But that's Reverend Henry Vanderkam. Now, isn't it interesting, dear children, that at the very time when there were these discussions about having a new church and how shall we deal with the decline in the Christian Reformed denomination at the time that God raised up a man at that time who just happened to be in Kalamazoo. He just happened to be in a retirement age. He just happened to be a man who had a terrific understanding of the church order, a wonderful understanding of, of, of church life and of, 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 of starting churches and of church planting and things like that. A profound understanding, as many of you have told me, of the doctrines of the Reformed faith. Now, why was that man right there at that time? Well, I mean, we can look at it from a human perspective, can't we? And say, well, I mean, you know, he was the pastor. Uh, was, it at, was it at the Grace Church, I think? Grace Church. And, and he retired. So, I mean, big deal. He was here. No, my friends. All of this is in the providence of God orchestrating these events. And as we sit here this morning and in, in 2024, doesn't it fill you with something of a sense of God was moving then? How are we going to respond to what he was doing then? 
Now, that's the second point, so I'll be there in a second. But first of all, let's just recognize what God has done for us. And some of these, some of these uh, points are kind of interesting, even humorous. Uh, one of the things I read was that 122 gallons of paint were used in the refurbishing of this church. Isn't that interesting? 122 gallons of paint. In one of the uh, write-ups I read, I've been doing some research in the Covenant Chronicles, the, uh, the, everything was so dark in this church, one of the, one of the ladies com- commented. She said that everything was so dark it wasn't very dutchy. It wasn't very dutchy. She said there were orange countertops. And I thought to myself, an orange countertop sounds very dutchy to me because, of course, orange is the, the color of the Netherlands, right? Uh, but at any rate, she didn't like those, and so those were all replaced. Uh, I'm told that this very pulpit here and the communion table were constructed by a man named John Keel, unknown to me, but maybe he's familiar to you. But then I just wanted to read this chapter. This was in one of the Covenant Chronicles, and uh, this last paragraph. And uh, I believe this was written by a Vanderroost. I, I forget the first name. Many willing and faithful souls came every day, trucking crockpots, goodies, and buckets with rags, cleaning supplies, and new brushes for getting into all the cracks and crevices. It's impossible for me to relate all that was done. It would take volumes. Nor will I mention any names for fear I would leave someone out. Listen to this congregation. All who were here will never forget the spirit that moved us. And we pray that our gracious Heavenly Father will continue to bless our congregation with that spirit and continue to prepare us for his kingdom where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. We move forward, congregation, by recognizing all that God has done for us in the past. And I don't want you to forget the spirit that once moved in this congregation at its founding and the spirit that moved in this congregation as it went forward. And to recognize that perhaps something of that spirit may flag as memories begin to fade. And so, my, my, my friends, I, I, I pound this point home. And you know, the first point here is recognizing what God has done for us. Maybe we should even change that first word to remembering what God has done for us. Because we tend to forget so quickly. We tend to forget. A new generation is rising up. In fact, Many of the people I speak today are, are a new generation. That, that generation is, is, is moving, moving on. Are we going to forget what God has done for us in the past? Let's move to the next point then, responding appropriately. So how do we respond to all that God has done for us? As we look at the pictures in the council room and we see the ministers that God has called to labor amongst us, and as we think of the many faithful I hope you'll get the latest Covenant Chronicle because in there uh, you have a beautiful write-up of Marv and, and Rena DeVries. And I want you to read that. I want you to read every word of it and let it settle into your soul, my friends. The gifts that God has given this church and great saints of the past. Many of you knew those people better than I do. You know, if I, I'd love to call you forward, actually, and have you tell us your memories of those people. But I can tell you, my friends, what a profound experience it was for me as I sat in the Park Village Pines next to Rena DeVries as her life ebbed away. She was unresponsive. But I sat there for I don't know how long, just contemplating and thinking about how God had raised this woman up in the church and all that she had done for us as a congregation. I didn't know it. 
but the, but the obligation settled on me, and I, and I hope you feel something of it this morning, that we are under, under an obligation to carry on the ministry that those great saints in the past, they led the way, they showed us the way. Are we going to let that drop? Did Rena pass from this life in 2023? She handed the baton off to each one of us. Are we going to let that baton drop now? So that brings me to my second point here, responding appropriately. So Joshua gives the summons in verse 14. This summons, now therefore, now therefore, hear or fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So we fear the Lord. In verse verse 16, we have Israel's resolve. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And then the reason their resolve is so strong, the reason they say, Far be it from us, the reason is given in verse 17, For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went, and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. Do you see how the memory of what God had done for the Israel in the past motivated them, filled them with courage, put steel in their back to continue serving the Lord in the present and in the future? I hope that we can make that connection this morning. When we recognize what God has done for us in the past, and we resolve to follow Him into the future. We respond accordingly. Well, my friends, looking back then, by way of application, our existence as a church was born out of a resistance or a, a uh, we weren't happy with the state of the situation in the denomination from which we came out. You might say that the existence of this church, the vision that, that drove this church to be founded was a vision that said, There was something in the past, in our heritage as Reformed churches, that was worth preserving. And as we saw our, our denomination moving away from that, the men of this church who founded this church said, no, that's not a biblical, that's not a godly direction in which to go. And there's something in that heritage that is worth preserving. And so as we think about responding to the history, my friends, I would ask you this morning, do you think that there is something worth preserving in the history and in the heritage of our churches as Reformed churches? I'm not saying, congregation, that there are no other churches, that that, that Reformed churches are the only Christian churches. No, I'm not saying that this morning. But I'm asking you, is there something worth preserving in the heritage and the tradition that our fathers and our mothers handed down to us. <clears throat> I, 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 and I think many of you know the picture I'm referring to, right? That picture that's in, uh, that, that gives you a picture of the first men, uh, the first council. Now, actually, I think it, it, was, it was just the, if I, if I remember this correctly, it's the men that were at that meeting at the Ashtamo Fire Hall. Oh, well, I'm not sure now. 
at any rate, you know, it's the meeting. You can see Henry Visser and Ralph Bolkema and a much younger Tom Nagel at the time, right, is in that picture. Okay, I think you remember that. And, and again, you know, when you look at that picture, why were those men there? They saw something that was slipping away, and they said, no, we don't want that. We want to retain what we once had in the tradition of our churches, in the Kuipers, in the Bovings, in the Skilders, right? Names that perhaps aren't so familiar to us because those are all men in the Netherlands. They wrote in Dutch. You can't read what they wrote for the most part. But still, they said those are, there, there is a, a Christianity there that we want to preserve. Now, there's another thing I notice in our text here that, I, that caught my eye, and that it says, <clears throat> uh, It says in verse 20, verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, no, I'm sorry, verse 15, verse 15, this is verse, verse 15, and if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then can you drop down to verse 23, please? Joshua 24 and verse 23, where after this speech, Joshua tells them, Now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, my friends, is that not astonishing to you that in the houses of these people there were idols? Now don't forget, these are the people who saw what God did to the Jordan River who saw God part the Jordan River so they could walk across it on dry land. These are the people who saw the walls of Jericho fall flat. These are the people who were defeated by the little band. Remember the little city of Ai? They were defeated by those people because of Achan, remember? And then God, after they had repented and Achan was put to death, God gave them the victory. And city after city after city fell with impossible odds. And yet Israel was given the victory every time. And even in the midst of that congregation, these people had idols, secretly now, mind you. They didn't openly have them. But secretly, they had idols and foreign gods in their houses. You'd say, how is it possible? How is it possible? Well, my friends, not only was it possible, it was real. These people had idols in their homes. And Joshua has to tell them, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst. It makes me wonder, my friends, what idols might be in our houses. That we also have to be diligent now in seeking out and destroying these idols that have snuck through our doors and taken their place in our homes. And you could think of whatever that might be, my friends, in terms of, of objects and, and media and things like that. But, you know, I want to take it even deeper this morning and saying, what ideas, right? Ideas drive behavior, right? We know that. Ideas drive behavior. What ideas might be circulating in our own minds that don't come from the Word of God? They're not based on this book, but they come from the culture around us, and they ooze their way imperceptibly into our homes, 
The whole idea, my friends, is that we don't have to take our religion so seriously. Right? We can, we can give, give a little to the church, give a little time to this. And Again, my friends, if I can take you back to your parents, I, I know some of you were not raised in, in godly homes, but most of us were. Do you remember how your parents read their Bible daily? Do you remember, perhaps, walking past your parents' bedroom and seeing them on their knees? Do you remember how seriously they took church attendance? How with their last breath, they would drag themselves, I'm exaggerating, I know, but with their last breath, they would drag themselves to church morning and evening. Their place was not empty. And yet today, you know, it seems like sometimes today, if, if you have a tough day, if you have a tough week at work, you, you can stay home from church. And again, I, I, I just raised that there are many possibilities, my friends, of these ideas that sneak into our minds and into our homes and into our families. And what are they? They're idols. They're idols. We can't move forward as a church unless we root out those idols, find them and destroy them. So moving forward as a church, I come then to my third point here, seeing who God is. Seeing who God is. I'm in verse 19 now, Joshua 24 and verse 19. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, he is a jealous God, he will not forgive your transgression or your sins. God is holy. So we move forward as a church by seeing who God is. And the first characteristic, the first attribute of God that we are given here is his holiness. You know, it's actually quite difficult to define holiness, my friends. We know what a holy person is because a holy person is someone who has no sin in them or at least is, is very much against sin, is fighting against sin. But what does it mean to say that God is holy? And this is more difficult now, right? Because God himself is the measure of holiness, right? There's not some standard of holiness up here. And we see if, you know, God is here and God measures up perfectly to this standard of holiness. No, because that's putting something above God. No, holiness, my friends, is the character of God himself expressed in his law. So in a sense, we could say that holiness is just godness. Holiness is godlike. Because we, we have nothing higher to measure holiness than God himself. He is the measure of holiness. But then our text goes on to say that he is a jealous God. Now what is God's jealousy but his holiness acting? God's jealousy is like the energy of his holiness. Right? And, and of course, a scripture here is taking the term jealousy from our own human experience, right? And you have to here think about the word jealousy, uh, maybe not as we normally understand it, but the word jealousy of, of the anger, the fury that a person would, would, would feel if he is betrayed. Right? And especially in a marriage relationship. If your wife or your husband betrayed you, right? The jealousy, the anger you would feel at having a rival in that relationship that is so sacred, so monogamous, right? That's the jealousy here. Now, God's jealousy is his holiness 
acting. It is the anger, the fury of God's wrath that goes out against anything that violates his holiness. Now, my friends, the interesting point here is the corollary or the conclusion that Joshua comes to. It's not very encouraging, is it? In verse 19, then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able. And actually, you don't even have to put that in the future tense. It can just be, you are not able to serve the Lord. Brothers, I gave you each a text this morning. How would you like this text? You are not able to serve the Lord. It just seems very discouraging. You are not able to serve the Lord, and not just for the brothers of the consistory and the council, but for the congregation as a whole. You are not able to serve the Lord. And, and now look at the reason given. Why are you not able to serve the Lord? It's because of God's holiness and jealousy. Verse 19, you will not be able to serve the Lord for, in other words, here's the reason, he is a holy God. You know, when I first studied this text this week, I, I even was typing along, I had to kind of catch myself because I started saying, you will not be able to serve the Lord because you are such a fickle people or because you're so weak morally or because you're a stiff-necked people, you're obstinate and stubborn. Now, all that is certainly true from, we know from other places of Scripture, but that's not the reason given here. Isn't it interesting that the reason given here is not because of anything that is true about Israel, but because of something that is true about God. You are not able to serve God because this is who God is. God is perfectly holy, and he will not tolerate the least transgression from his law. Again, it's like the news even gets worse, doesn't it, dear friends? That as a council, as the leadership of the church, as the church in general, all the ministries that we that we carry, and God says, you know what, you're not able to do it. You can't do it. And the reason is, because I am a holy God. Where does that leave us as a church, my friends? Where does that leave us? This is my application then on point number three. What should we do? Should we try harder? Should we have an even stronger resolve? Well, certainly, right? I mean, there's nothing, uh, certainly we should try hard. We should have a strong resolve. How will we honor God in this new year? This text doesn't seem to leave us in a very good place. You will not be able to serve God because he's holy and he's jealous. Well, I'll tell you what it leaves us, dear friends. It leaves us crying out for something better. It leaves us crying out for something more than just what we are as a people. And actually, that's a good place to be, isn't it? As those who are determined and resolved to serve the Lord, brothers, it leaves you in a place, hopefully, that where the Spirit of God is working, it leaves you in that place to say, Lord, I don't have what it takes to serve this congregation as an elder, as a deacon, as a pastor. That's where it leaves us. Now, my friends, I want to close this message, and if you would all turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3, because here we have the Apostle Paul reflecting on exactly this truth. Where does this leave us? Where does Joshua's comment leave us? You will not be able to serve the Lord. Look with me at 2 Corinthians and chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <coughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3 
and verse 4. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 4. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, And such confidence we have. I'm just going to stop there a minute. And such confidence we have. Brothers, do you desire that confidence? Brothers and sisters of the congregation, do you want to be in that place where Paul was? To have that confidence that you are able to serve the Lord. Joshua seems to dash that to pieces. He says you are not able to serve the Lord. But Paul has this confidence in chapter 3 and verse 4. And such confidence we have. Now let's continue. Through Christ toward God. Now verse 5. Follow me here. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. And there it is. Right, that's what Joshua was saying. You are not able. And Paul has grasped that fact. Brothers, have you grasped that fact? You cannot be effective as an office bearer until you grasp that fact. I asked myself this morning, have I grasped that fact? Brothers and sisters, have you grasped that fact? Not that we are adequate in ourselves. You must own your own inability to serve God in a way that pleases Him. That's verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And let's, let's take that further then in verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Now this fits in with what we've been talking about in the Advent weeks. Because Paul is mindful that he is serving God under a new covenant, not under those terms of the old covenant. Paul is serving God as under a new covenant. Now, what is that new covenant? Notice what it says, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. My friends, there lies Paul's confidence. Paul says, and such confidence we have, and such confidence you can have, brothers, not in ourselves, but of the Spirit. That is the gift of the new covenant. Remember the, the saying I gave you of the, the, to express the truth of the new covenant in a very simple saying, past sins forgotten, future obedience ensured. Now how does that future obedience, how is that ensured? By the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit. Paul writes, not of the letter, right? The letter is just the law of God given to you. Here it is. Here are the commandments of God. Now do it. But the new covenant goes one step farther. But of the Spirit. So yes, you have the letter. Yes, you have your obligations. Yes, you have your responsibilities. But God says, in the new covenant, I give you also my Spirit. And therein lies your adequacy. Therein lies your strength. And that's not just for the brothers here this morning, friends. That's for everyone. By the way, that's for uh, Deb Koning. That's for Shar DeBoer and for Beverly Bronsing. And the sacrifices that you and, and Ben, I'm not, I didn't forget you, Ben. That's for you too. Because you also have a sacrifice to carry. Your, 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 your father, your husband will be gone. More nights than he is probably now. And that's a sacrifice for you to carry as well. But your adequacy is not of yourselves but of the Spirit. 
My friends, may that spirit fill us as a congregation in this new year and give us confidence to step out boldly and to serve God without fear. Let us pray. Lord, we do come before you and the closing of this service, uh, Lord, with gladness and with joy. The statement of Joshua would seem to dash our hopes all to pieces and to think that 2024 is going to be a disaster because we cannot serve the Lord. But Lord, we, we rejoice with the Apostle Paul that our adequacy, our confidence, our strength is not in ourselves. But it's in the gift of that new covenant, the Holy Spirit. And in him, and with him working and ministering and moving in our midst, there's nothing that we cannot do. Christ dwelling in us by his Spirit is an omnipotence, a power that can never be stopped, never be hindered. Lord, I pray that 2024 for us as a congregation would be such a year where we step out boldly, not in confidence in ourselves, but with our confidence in the Spirit of God. Lord, help us to remember the past, help us to act on it, and help us to rely entirely upon that blessed Spirit to give us the strength and to give us the confidence. And then we these things, Lord, make us to be good and faithful soldiers for Jesus Christ. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing from the 122nd Psalm in the Red Hymnal, number 122b. We'll sing the four stanzas of 122b. My heart was glad to hear the welcome sound, the call to seek Jehovah's house of prayer. Number 122b in the Red Hymnal, all the verses.
Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.